We're just getting started, man. Combination, what up, what up, what up, everyone? Welcome to episode 154. You heard it right, man. Episode 154 of Combo's Court, and I am Combo. Hope everybody is staying safe out there and continuing to wash their hands and staying away from others for the time being. Today's show, former NBA player and current NCAA BTN College basketball analyst Stephen Bardo joins in. A great conversation with Stephen, and I can't wait for you guys to hear it. You can find Stephen on Twitter and Instagram at Stephen Bardo. That's S-T-E-P-H-E-N-B-A-R-D-O. You know you can find me on Instagram at 1-2-Combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Fox Sports, BTN College Basketball Analyst, former NBA player. Welcome to Combo Score, man. How you feeling? Doing great, man. How about yourself? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Um, any new hobbies for you? Um, have the workouts changed? How's things for you during these times? Well, Andrew, it's important for me to get my exercise every day. So I just try to get out and get my walk or jog in and do some body weight workouts. I love going to the gym, but, you know, obviously that's closed. So just try to modify as best I can, um, you know, and, and just – Trying to do like everybody else, just trying to adjust. Yeah, I think it's cool because you learn some new things about exercise habits when you have your whole routine change and you can even find new ways to work out, you know, work on some different stuff. I agree. For sure. All right, let's start with you, Steven. Take us through your basketball career, man, from um, high school, college, all the way to the NBA. Well, grew up in Carbondale, Illinois, which is a small Southern Illinois town where uh, Southern Illinois University is located. My father was a basketball player at SIU back in the late 50s, early 60s, and then became a college professor at SIU. So I basically grew up on the campus of SIU watching great basketball. Uh, Back then, the Missouri Valley had Indiana State and Larry Bird, uh, Mo Cheeks of West uh, West Texas State, Wichita State with Antoine, uh, excuse me, uh, Aubrey Sherrard, Antoine Carr, Cliff Livingston, uh, just great basketball that came through SIU Arena. And I kind of grew up watching that and wanted to emulate the players that I saw. And so did well in high school, had my choice of where I wanted to go to school, chose to go to University of Illinois. Glad I made that choice. Ended up on a Final Four team, one of the more legendary teams in college basketball history. And I've been able to parlay that, uh, you know, into a 10-year professional uh, playing career and then also transitioning into uh, broadcasting games. How'd that transition go for you to get into media? Like, was that something you were thinking about towards the end of your career, or it was like a natural progression? Well, you know, Andrew, I studied broadcast journalism in school. Okay. And uh, I kind of knew that that's what I wanted to do. And uh, my, my ex-wife, my wife at the time, suggested that I reach out to uh, local media entities. And so I was in Chicago for the first year, and I reached out to 40 – 40 media entities and 39 told me no. And one wow. guy took me in on an internship and uh, 
you know, he's, he's my mentor and friend to this day. And so I was uh, interning while I was still playing professionally in the summers. And then I uh, transitioned very smoothly into University of Illinois men's radio position while I was a sports reporter here in Chicago for CBS to Chicago. And so I, I had a, a very smooth transition solely because I did a lot of networking. And plus I was, you know, building up, getting my reps in with internships towards the end of my career. You know, one question about your NBA career before you move on to college basketball, who was the toughest guy for you to guard while you were in the league? <laughs> it, it was the toughest guy for everybody to guard, Michael Jordan. I mean, it was How was that? Feeling, man, you know, <laughs> oh, it was crazy. I mean, Michael's cool, and I, I've known Michael, and I think he took it easy on me a little bit, but he still torched me like he did everybody else. He would turn it on when he wanted to. He would definitely turn it on. He played in the Final Four. He played in the NCAA tournament. What was your reaction when March Madness was canceled? Oh, it's tough, Andrew, because here's the thing. For guys like me, I, I, I just turned 52. Uh, my birthday is typically or, or April 5th, so it's around the Final Four weekend. And since I think I was five years old till now, I've seen every Final Four. I've either Crazy. seen it, played in it, or covered it. And so uh, it was very, very weird to not have the tournament, very unusual to not close out the season. That's kind of our crescendo for people that work in the industry. You work so hard all year to build up to the NCAA tournament. And when there was no tournament, I really felt bad for the players. I hurt for them because it's not guaranteed that you're going to get to the tournament. And it's a, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. It's a great way for players to cement their legacy within that program that they can then come back afterwards and take advantage of that, i.e. dealing with alumni or the school. And so it's a, it was a huge missed opportunity for the players involved. And just for the basketball world, it was, it was really a tough blow. And also just the attention they get from NBA decision makers. It's tough. It is because what, what a lot of people don't discuss is that you hit it on the head, Andrew. The NBA likes to see how people respond under, under pressure. There is no more pressurized situation in the NCAA tournament. You know, you win or go home, win in advance. And, you know, under those circumstances, guys that do the best. We saw Kimba Walker have an extraordinary NCAA tournament run and he's carried it into his professional career. And so some players' careers are made in that NCAA tournament. Steven, who would you project to be the best player as terms of having an NBA career coming out of this draft? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, you could give me a few. I Feel free to give like, me a few. I like Anthony Edwards yep. from Georgia. Uh, his athletic upside, his body. He's a freshman. I don't know that he's even seen the weight room really good yet. And so you're looking at a guy, he's only going to get – his upside is only going to be better. Uh, so I like Anthony Edwards. I also love Weissman. I really wish he could have, um, you know, maintained his eligibility at Memphis because there were a couple games, man, where he was just scratching the surface with what he's able to do. I think he's an underrated passer. Yes. Uh, I think his vision, his court vision is a lot better than people think. And, you know, he, he's, got a, he's got a live body. You know, when you get a seven-footer that plays as hard as Weissman, that's not – that's unusual. He, he kind of reminds me of Carl Anthony Towns in terms yeah. of a big that plays as hard as he does. And, and he so, might be able to get up and down I, the court. I think those he, two guys. He might be able to get up and down the court a little bit better than Cat, too. He's, he runs. I, 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 I would agree. And, yeah. you know, he's got that advantage that he's a left-hander. 
as well. Yes. And so, you know, you got a big that's a lefty. That's that's a big time advantage. For sure. Any guys flying underneath the radar that you think will we'll probably go first round that people aren't talking about, but will be really good that you think will be a really good NBA player. There's a there's a guy that I think is intriguing. His name is Kofi Coburn out of Illinois. He's a alma mater. Two hundred ninety pounds. Say it again. Your alma mater. Yep. Okay. And this guy's a he, Andrew. He's an elite runner. What do I mean by that? At seven foot, two hundred ninety pounds, he can beat guards up and down the floor. He's that fast. Uh, he he's only played the game for five years. His upside is tremendous. He's been able to extend his jump shot. He's a he's a above 70% free throw shooter for a seven footer. Gotta tell you, he's got touch. Uh, it's only gonna be a matter of time. He'll be able to pick and pop. That's gonna be a thing that he's gonna have to work on. But he was already pretty good in containment when he got switched on a guard defensively in a pick and roll setting. So he defensively, I think he's ahead of, ahead of the curve. Offensively, I think the pick and pop game will come. He's a hard worker. He's a gregarious young man. I think his upside is tremendous. I think he, he could be a sleeper in this year's draft. LaMelo and RJ decided to go overseas uh, instead of taking the college route. Do you think that'll have an impact on college's ability to land top-end talent? I do uh, because, Andrew, I'm pro player. What, what do I mean by that? I, if the players can get more options for what they're trying to do, I'm all for it because it's, it's a, it's, there's not as many opportunities for high school basketball players as there are for high school baseball players, high school golfers, high school, you know, uh, track athletes. There, there's, there's more opportunities for those sports. So I, the fact that uh, Australia, Italy, we've seen China do it, that, that have offered opportunities for players coming out of high school, I'm all for that. And to me, I think, you know, in this country anyway, they always talk about this stuff, competition. Competition is good for business. Well, if competition is good for business, then college basketball is going to have to step their game up because the G League is now a better option and overseas is a better option. And so I think from a player's standpoint, this is a, this is a dawn of a new age. Right. How do you think the Fair Pay to Play Act will impact the NCAA? Because I don't know if everybody has a great understanding of what exactly it is. I'm so glad you asked that. Uh, I get so upset with people who wail like, oh, this is going to be the end of amateurism. That's, that's garbage. And I won't curse on your podcast, but that's garbage. <laughs> I want to. Uh, because here's the thing that people don't understand. Colleges and universities have to pay zero dollars with SB 206. That's the name of the measure that was signed in California. All it does is give Student, I don't like using the word student athletes because that was a term the NCAA uh, created to avoid litigation. So I don't like using that. The players at the college level, right? All, they, all this does is give them the opportunity to go cut a deal with a local car dealer, a business, somebody that wants to partner with that particular player. That's all it does. It doesn't require the colleges and universities come up with an additional dime. And yet you would think that is going to ruin the structure of college athletics because that's the narrative that they want to push to the public to get public opinion back on their side. But that horse has left the barn. People are a lot more um, aware and savvy about what's happening. And I, for one, 
And I love college basketball because I not only had a great experience there, but I continue to make my living on college basketball, but I want it equitable. I want people to know exactly what's going on. And I want to hold the NCAA's feet to the fire because I think they could be doing a much better job. How many players do you think this act will really affect? Because it's funny, I see on social media, uh, a bunch of guys go, I wish they had that act when I was there, you know? But it's, it's not going to be too many guys signing car deals. So you get my drift. Like, where's this going and about how many guys will really benefit from this? Well, initially, I think it won't be many. I think it would probably, you know, two to three per power, power five. Like top power 25. Six, oh, power six. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Right. But here's the thing. If these guys get smart, and they start to understand the, the development of their social media followings. Because I'm going to give you an example. There's a kid by the name of Isaiah Washington, Jelly yes. Fam. Yeah, I'm from New York, he so I know. He was worth the most. Yeah. Jelly Fam was a multi-million dollar brand. Oh, yeah. Before he went to college, before he went to Minnesota. And so he goes to Minnesota, and it was almost like, I'm not going to say that Richard Pitino did this on purpose, but it was almost like they didn't want him to succeed because he had this 800,000 uh, following on Instagram. Now, if SB206 is in effect and Isaiah Washington goes to Minnesota with 800,000 Instagram followers, he can immediately make six figures off of his following. But in the current state of NCAA rules and regulations, he can't take advantage of that. He doesn't, play, he doesn't get off in Minnesota. He transfers to Iona. I think he's playing a little bit better in Iona. But last that I heard, Nike took over the Jelly Fam kind of moniker. And so he, he's known for it, but Nike took it over because he didn't LLC it or he didn't get the proper business structure to, to prevent someone from coming to get it. So, so I think he's the poster child for players moving forward that if you really work hard and develop your social media following, by the time you hit college, you're much more marketable and you might be a fifth or sixth player fifth or sixth man, a, a, a last guy on the bench. There's a kid named, uh, I'm going to mess his name up. Pantelis is his last name. He's a, he's a player on DePaul University. Okay. He gets more airtime on national television when we cover his games because he's got this wild hair. He jumps around. He, you, know, he, he, you know, he's what college, people, college athletics should be about. You know, and enthusiasm, happy to be there, all right. for the team. This young man could be making six figures right now to Paul if he was savvy enough to develop his social media following before he got to college. So I think that's the gateway for players moving forward when this uh, SB 206 comes into effect. I believe it's still two or three years out, but when it comes into effect, if guys can have 100, 200, 500,000 followers on their social media platforms, then they could be much more marketable once they hit college. Yeah, that, that is crazy. And it's also crazy that um, Isaiah Washington will be playing for his father now, Rick Pitino. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And I think Rick Pitino probably will let him go. Yeah, yeah turn yeah, okay. him loose. Because, yeah. Andrew, he, he's a typical New York guard, man. He's, he's a throwback New York guard. The ball yeah. is a – he's got a string on the ball, man. Cat can handle the ball. He can go anywhere he wants on the floor. He Great can finisher. Score. Great finisher. Yeah, he can finish. I mean, I think he'll. I think he'll have a resurgence under Rick Pitino. 
All right, Stephen, this has been a big-time topic lately because there's not much current hoops to talk about. Uh, greatest college player of all time. Um, I would have Pistol Pete up there, but I would have to go with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Who would you have? I'd have to go to Kareem, one, Bill Walton, two, uh, and then it would be a, a probably a toss-up between um, Elvin Hayes and um, – who did I say? I had another name in there that was – oh, Glenn Rice. Glenn Rice. Glenn Rice. Because Glenn Rice still holds the record for most points scored in an NCAA tournament. No Pistol Pete on that list? 44 a game, Stephen? Yeah, but how far did they get in the tournament? Oh, I don't they, – they never had – their record was never that great from what I remember. Yeah. See, so that's my point. Pistol Pete was a cold dude. His numbers were ridiculous. But Glenn Rice won a national championship. Kareem won three. He would have won four if they didn't have freshman ineligibility. And I believe Walton won two. Yeah. So I, I tend to, when we go to these greatest lists, I tend to like championships, you know, they, they have a, a big time weight in, in how I kind of figure those things out. Who would you have as the greatest team? It's got to be one of those UCLA teams, one of those teams that Walt, I think Walton, his second championship, they might have been more dominant than even one of Kareem's teams. But when you have a UCLA uh, program that ran roughshod over college basketball as long as they did, I'm not sure. I mean, some of the Duke teams, maybe uh, Indiana's back-to-back uh, -back national championships in the uh, mid-'70s, late-'70s, maybe. But it's, it's, it's hard to go against teams that were winning eight out of ten championships. It, it's it's hard to go against that. Steven, great stuff. Uh, where can we find you on social media and everywhere else? And I really appreciate your time, man. Glad I'm on here um, with you. And um, where you can find me is Steven Bardo, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, Bardo, B-A-R-D-O, on everything. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. It's all Steven Bardo. Much appreciated, Steven. You're always welcome back on the show. Talk soon. Thank you, Andrew. Appreciate Anytime. it. Anytime. There it is. Another Combos Court episode is in the books. Big shouts to Steven for joining in. We appreciate you. Combo Nation, let me know how you feel about this episode right in the comments section of your Apple Podcast app. Rate and review wherever you listen to Combos Court and share this episode with a friend via social media or word of mouth. Post it in your IG stories. Tag me at 1-2-Combo. I'll repost it. Hope everybody's staying safe out there. Be on the lookout for episode 155 Combo Out.